Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. This is episode number 89 with our guest, John DeWall. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing, hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Hey there, guys. Thanks for joining us. You're tuned right into The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey. You know those times of change in your life, whether it's with a job or a career or in a relationship or a growth and change within yourself, and you find yourself smack in the middle of the familiar and the completely unknown? You know that it's time to move forward, to move on, to leave the familiar or the comfortable behind, but you have no clue what's ahead. And of course, that can be scary, frightening, perhaps thrilling, but it's unknown. And all of these emotions kick in, fear, doubt, concern, the voices in your head start going crazy. Well, that space in time, when you find yourself in a life transition like that is called a liminal space, the time between the what was and the next. Imagine having the professional guidance to help you navigate successfully through these times of change. Well, our guest today does just that. He's the executive director and transition guide at Liminal Space, a place with developed tools, resources, and workshops that help you approach your own liminal space and navigate any life transition with boldness and confidence. Who doesn't want that? Help me welcome our guest. It's John DeWall. What's going on, John? Hey, Josh. Thanks for having me on the show. Grateful to be here. Great. Absolute pleasure having you. So let's get right into this. I've said before we uh, hit record here, I love this topic. There's just so much to sink your teeth into because everybody, right? Everybody experiences change sometimes more often than we, we want, we expect, we hope. So let's start with that. Do you find that change in, in the human nature regard, is it inevitable? And why do we find such resistance to it? I, yeah, I think it is inevitable. I think even in this given day, you and I are in the midst of, of an experience right now and it will end and that will be a change to my day and I will be on to the next thing. Those are small micro changes. I love that. And, then we, <clears throat> and we have these big ones, you know? 
the car accidents, the mm. job changes, the health crisis, the retirements, the kids being born, marriage, on and on, these big major changes in life. So I think they are everywhere. Um, what was the second half of your question? Why do we resist change so much? Yeah. Well, because I think we're comfort seekers. We, we like the familiar. We like the known. We like the routines of our lives. And those give us ways of framing a day and a week and a month and a year. And when those get disrupted, it creates a lot of uncertainty and a lot of ambiguity. And it also forces us to look at um, a big question that I think a lot of us struggle with in these moments. I think it's the crux of the questions that you could be asking during a transition. And it's now what? Mm. Uh, now what? Which forces choices. And it forces you to think about where your life is heading when it was familiar and now it's not. So because we're comfort seekers, but we're also these creatures that can also create and shape new routines and new beginnings, those can come into tension with one another when, you know, what was familiar isn't there and the meaning for a day, a future has, has dramatically shifted. In, um, the, in the work you do, is, yeah. is one of the first steps for me, uh, aside from acknowledging that, oh my goodness, things are changing, uh, whether I like it or not, is one of the first steps to accept it and say, all right, I, I've got to go with it. And it's happening. It happened. Nothing I can do. Now what? So acceptance, is that a big mental part of it all? I, I think it's a place that you would want to get in order to fully discover what the transition could be in, inviting in, in the way of opportunities. And I do think there are opportunities in every transition. But Acceptance is one of those stages of grief that hmm. um, is very well documented. And, but before that, there's quite a few other uh, stages like bargaining and um, anger and you know, all the, the things that come with loss, um, the denial. So I, I think that stuff is also very present for, for many of us as we go through these changes, hopefully to get to that point where we can accept that now this is the story and what was is no more. And until we get to that point of acceptance and then moving forward with, uh, again, that question, now what? What do you want for your future? What do you desire to do with this new reality? What were you telling me, uh, perhaps um, more than just semantics, the difference between change and transformation? Change is, again, something that we all go through, but transitions are made. Those are done with intention. Those are designed and constructed. The best ones are. Um, we so often just want to get out of the discomfort of a transition that will take any, ans any answer. Um, and sometimes that's nothing more than rearranging the furniture in a room. Um, and what we need is to thoughtfully consider what's no more, what's true today, because the best choices are made uh, in reality, um, what the story is today. And then from there, move forward. Um, and that's, that's something that you do with intention. That's designed. So a big part of the work I do with clients and those that have come alongside me during major transitions is to slow the narrative down in the midst of the season of change and disruption, what's really going on? And what are some of the core questions that are being asked besides the most obvious ones? Like, how do I pay my bills? Well, yeah, you need a job, but right now, Let's really consider that that's a separate conversation from what's really underneath that for many is how do I find a life of purpose and meaning while also paying my bills? 
right? Those two are both important. We got to feed our stomachs and our hearts. Um, and so it's slowing the narrative down, addressing some of the core questions that are being asked, while all those other noisy ones are also being asked and are also important. So you're the executive director. This is, this is your baby, right? You started this whole thing. Um, liminal space. It's a, um, it's a space in, um, in Seattle. In Edmonds, Washington. Yep. Just north of Seattle, downtown. Right. And you got a, you have a whole thing going on there. It's not just you dealing with clients. You have a, you have a board, you have a, a big um, physical space where you hold workshops. And what is right. your, give me an, a, a real example or even a case study of sorts. Who, who do you best work with and what's their situation that you're helping them through? Yeah. I think probably one of the more common clients I'm working with is the ones who have been doing a particular job or on a career trajectory for 10, 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. And they can tell me quite clearly that what they don't want to do, but they can't tell me what they really want to do with their life. They've got some strengths some gifts. Um, they've got a path behind them that demonstrates expertise. Um, and how do I parlay all of that into something that is really by design more meaningful and desired for a future? And that's probably the more common one that I work with. Um, I don't know what the exact statistic is, but I think it's in the 80, 80, 80 or more percent of the working population experiences a level of dislike and discontent with the work that they're currently doing, which is just a sad statistic to me. Um, to, to know that that many people um, are unhappy with their, with their work. Um, and so I like to help people figure out what it is that they really want to do with all of those hours in a given day and week that they're creatively expending towards things that they want to create in the world. And we need more people that are alive doing that, especially in this day and age. How do you approach that? So if I come to you and I say, John, I'm just yeah. miserable in what I'm doing. I'm, I'm here. Work with me. Help me. Yeah. Where, where am I going? What am I doing? What's that process like? That's a great question. I think that's what distinguishes a lot of what I do. Um, at the very front end, I'm asking during these times where things are topsy-turvy and disrupted, how do you typically navigate change? Um, what are some of the What's the approach that you take if you were to go on a journey through these times of disruption? What do you typically do? I cry in the corner. Yeah, right. That's yeah. one approach, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> another approach might be for some, they go gather their first two or three friends that come to mind and they freak out and they wait for someone to tell them what to do. You know what you need to do? So they're looking oh, for advice. Okay. Um, and so what is the approach that you typically take as you navigate these seasons of trans transition? And so I start by studying a person's life during major life changes, considering what really does help them. I mean, how are they utilizing things like community to navigate a season? And how are they perhaps hiding um, from what, what the opportunities could be or what the disruption is inviting? How are they using their approach to hide from, from what's going on in that season? What is, I'm, I'm sorry, what is your skill and background that you utilize for this that you're bringing to the table? Um, so my, my training is as a, so I got my master's in divinity. So uh, that's, oh, wow. that's where I got my master's and a lot of business experience where I've, I've been my own boss now for 15, almost 20 years, um, as well as a lot of training that has to do with studying a person's story and narrative. Um, from the school that I attended. 
Hmm. And I think we all have a story. And so learning how to study a person's story and what's, what's taking place in the themes and patterns of a person's life that are contributing to them becoming more of who they're supposed to be in the world and what are those things that mute it or avoid it or hide from it because we all have those um, and mm. no better time to study those than within a, a season of disruption and transition so you know the background is certainly the education is there but and then it's just being thrown in the deep end and starting to work with people and learning right and and just having client after client after client over these 10 years where I'm fascinated by who you are and who you could be. Um, and with that curiosity, learning what it means to engage them in their particularity, knowing that there's, there's certainly common themes and questions that we're all asking during these significant seasons, but the, the way that plays itself out for this unique one person in front of me as we're journeying together, um, that's fascinating to me. And so I get to be their, their Sherpa of sorts. Wow, that's a good way go to put it. The, mm. As we go on the journey. I, I love this so much because as I was doing the research for this interview and preparing for it, I realized that we, in so many regards, macro and micro, we're going through change. And some of it is uh, welcome. Some of it is not. Some of it is us taking the deliberate step away from and you know into what we want sometimes we're being yeah. pushed away and we're like oh my gosh i have no choice now uh so just all that and, and other times like you said the very the very micro we are you know within an hour this whole experience of the now will change and um maybe it doesn't feel life altering so we could process it and move on from it but yeah. uh, it's it's just understanding that there's, there's change on, on every level, and um, it, it helps to have the right equipment, so to speak, by your side, right? Because mm -hmm. how often uh, do, you, do you find people are really going to be like, is, is this like an annual thing that these happen or more often or less often? In, in one person's life? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, give me five minutes with anybody, and I'm sure we'll identify some place where that person is in transition, right? <laughs> The moment you become aware of, of the questions and some of the things that are churning in, inside is an indication that you are perhaps in a season of transition. What are um, some of the topics like, uh, you know, career? Wh what else might someone identify with? Um, career, uh, something having to do with relationships. Um, you know, the, a very common one is kids leaving the house mm. and being a primary caregiver and now it's, uh, now where do I find my identity and my purpose? Because my children don't need me in the same way. Um, so that's a significant one. Retirement. Uh, I've dedicated 30, 40 uh, years of my life to this body of work. Wow. And I'm supposed to let that go. And part of me wants to let that go, but uh, part of me doesn't. Right. What does that mean? Who do I become? Yeah. What does that say about me? Right. Right. And I think that that word become, who do I become when I've shaped my entire life around this activity, whether it's raising kids or this career that I've had or this city that I've lived in or this community I've been a part of or this business I've started. So much of our identity gets tied to these things. And, uh, and when those things shift and, and, and sometimes crumble um, or we willingly let them go, it's really figuring out like, who am I now? in the midst of that change and who do I wish to become Yeah, given the story's trajectory. 
I love that. Do you, do you find that you have to deal with a person's ego? Is, is that when you're doing work with them? Does that get in the way and you have to gently navigate through that? Yeah, I, I, you know, I think we all have ways of creating a, um, a way of presenting our lives to the world. And again, like I said earlier, some of that is helpful. It is, there are constructs that help us navigate a day, a week, um, relationships, different environments and contexts, but some of that we use to protect ourselves. Uh, and transitions are inherently vulnerable. So, you know, a big part of my work is to help identify with that individual, where are you protecting yourself and how is that serving you and why is that not helpful and why, why could it be helpful in the future given where you want to go hmm. and helping people become more honest with, with some of those areas, uh, more truthful. Uh, again, that idea of like the best, the best choices, which is what transitions really do hold are a lot of, a lot of hard choices. The best choices are rooted when you know who you are and what story you're in. And if you can identify those two things and see an invitation that's bigger than just self-satisfying, you know, stories, things that are in the service of helping those around you, okay, what a powerful combination. That's a dangerous person when they know who they are, what reality they're in, and how their life is in the service of others. Oh, I, I, I really like those two phrases. Tell me more about that a little bit. Who you are and what story you're in or what reality you're in. Tell me about that one. What does that really mean? Well, there's a collection of things that you need to know in order to identify who you are. Um, you know, certainly what is the unique set of gifts and, and values you have that shape the choices you make? Those are important things to, like, what are the things that matter the most to you? Or have you constructed a life that's based on what other people tell you you should have or a culture that tells you you should be this? Been there. Yeah, right. I think we all have because we all get, you know, formed by our families and then the culture we lived in and and it, there's these important developmental markers where it's you realizing what story you're in. And is that the story that you really want to continue to move with? Like as it's shaping who you are and what choices you make into the future, what does it mean to take the pen that's in your hand and write a story of your own choosing without completely abandoning the themes that have brought you to this point or the stories, mm. but given what you have become, what does it mean to really own the pen in your hand and really write the story of your life? And that's always the invitation within transition is the pen got ripped away from you um, or it changed. Either you chose it or, or it was chosen for you. The work is you are still an agent of change. You are not the victim of a transition. Mm. You have a pen. It's something's happened. It's, it, it has formed you deeply. It has probably invited loss of some kind, but the pen is still yours because you're breathing it's amazing you have the gift of choice i was gonna say that's exactly what i was gonna say do you find that some people um just choose to ignore that they have full choice and it is their choice and they can choose instead of feeling well i'm trapped in this situation i have no choice i don't know what to do i can't do that but mm -hmm. no you have all of the choice right. period and if that was a theme in a person's life that I was sitting with, I would be curious about where that theme and that pattern formed. Yeah. That was probably formed somewhere in their story. Yes, in this moment, your boss was a dick and they, they did treat you poorly. And there seems to be a long narrative here where you can point to other stories where you've also had the same kind of boss. How did you get so unlucky that you had seven or eight different bosses that you chose? You chose that job. 
how, so it's really confronting. How did this become the easier narrative for you to become the one who's blaming everything about where your circumstances are and those around you, hmm. right? So I think one of the, that's a very common, what I would call transition thief, is that, that, that thief of the blaming. Either we're blaming others or we're blaming ourselves. And it, there, there's importance to understand responsibility on, on both sides. But that if that narrative is, is where you see your life, it's an adversarial lens, it's already skewing reality. If that's what you're seeing, all their fault or, or your fault, it's not going to help you make the best choices because how could it all be their fault? Or how could it all be your fault? In my experience, that's never, never truly the case. Yeah. I used to, um, I used to play the victim uh, mm -hmm. much of my life until... I heard that that's an actual thing. While I was playing the victim, I wasn't so aware that I was playing the victim and sort of owned and embraced that and really needed that role to help perpetuate my story. Yeah, um, and um, until I heard somebody talking about how there's a victim role out there and I was ready to hear it and you know I was already... Um, in transition and changing and transforming and leaving these old patterns and habits behind. I was ready to see it and hear it. And it just yeah. landed. I was like, oh my God, that's a thing. And that's been my thing. Son of a gun. I've been the victim. I can't yeah. do this anymore. And then I was aware of that even being a thing. Yep. And that can become normal and mark an entire person's life. Um, where that is that is a dominant theme. And I think what it does is it keeps a person safe in what's really, really familiar. Because if you had to set, set aside that theme of a victim and really own your life, oh. it would invite you to become more vulnerable, more courageous, more bold. More Ooh, imagine that, yeah. Right, right. Um, and I would argue more alive. Um, the victim doesn't have to feel the agency of their life. They just have to feel the blame that they place everywhere else. And, and so I, I think we're all invited to become agents of change and transformation in the world. Transitions are the best seasons to do that. But it puts us in, in, in um, it asks us to take a really hard look in the mirror um, at these themes and patterns that have been there our whole lives and have been shaped by our stories. And, and so we need to know what those are in order to write the story we, we fully want based on the desires that are in our heart already. And I believe everybody has those. They, everyone has a unique set of desires that have been placed inside of them. And it's our job to understand what those are and live in a bold, uh, courageous way. When we're presented with change and now the, the, the immediate current and future approach is the transformation that's taking place and continuing to take place, you, you mentioned that you, you work with clients to teach them during that transformation, that transition stage, how to wait and how to identify clues. What are we waiting for? What is the purpose of that waiting? And what clues are we looking for? Yeah. Um, well, there's a lot. Um, clues related to when someone walks into my office and they don't know really what they're good at or what their, what their strengths and gifts are. Um, there's a whole body of stories. So what does it mean to wait and study the story of your life? Often you have to look back at the wake to understand what it looks like, right? So tell me about three or four, tell me three or four great stories 
where you have been at your best. And don't, yeah, sure, maybe you don't have a cohesive narrative in your career yet after these 10 or 15 years, but surely there were moments where you just felt engorged with, this is a lot of fun. I love this work. I love the people that I'm doing it with. This was one moment. If I could rinse and repeat that, mm. hallelujah, right? Um, tell me three or four of those stories that help me understand what you look like when you're at your best. Or tell me three or four stories of courage where you had to rise and become mm. something that you never thought you had. Surely those are in your story. And they don't have to be these grand marquee, you know, stage presentation or performances where you're in front of a thousand people. They can be these moments with a neighbor. They can be a moment with a colleague. You know, it can be these moments that are easily missed, but for whatever reason, they have stayed with you and you can tell that story. And there's a sense of like, that was an important part of my story. That was an important experience right there. I loved that. So let's study what's going on in those because we'll learn about who you are in terms of your gifts and strengths and values, the kinds of things that inform your choice, the kinds of things that inform the kinds of relationships you keep. Those are important things for us to understand. And then one of the things that I love, love, love to do with clients is this exercise called stories from the future, where when we're looking for breadcrumbs that hold desire, um, we just finished a workshop last week and that was all about this, stories from the future, where you have to consider your life three to five years from now. And let's say you and I, Josh, were, you know, you were the client and I, I am asking you as the client to write me stories from the future. And the way I would set this up for you is I would say, let's say I'm, in some city, we'll say Seattle, <laughs> and I'm, I'm on a bus driving into the city and I sit down and I, and I sit next to someone who knows you. And I'm like, how do you know Josh? So you would tell me that story from that person's perspective um, three to five years from now and what kind of impact that person would say that you had on them. So they would go on to say, oh, I love Josh and let me tell you like how he changed my life. So maybe it was the work that you did together. Maybe you were their boss. Maybe you were a, a business partner. Maybe you were, a, their, you were the publisher for, for you. Like, I don't know what it could be, but it could be anything you want it to be in terms of what you desire for your life and your impact. And we ask our clients to always write four or more of those stories because what we're looking for are patterns of desire, patterns of dreams, patterns of impact and influence that you desire for your life out into the future. And this is so much bigger than I want this house, this yeah. car, this job, this city. Mm. It's about impact. It's about influence. And I so, think for desire that we all have, we want to know that, that our lives matter. And we see that in the faces of those around us. So to reiterate, it's, it's project three to five years in the future, but it's not just me telling my version of what I visualize, what my then now will look like. I'm right. telling it in the third person of somebody you're, I've impacted. You're telling it from their perspective. You're putting your, yourself in their shoes and what you would like someone to tell about you and your impact on them. That's a twist I've never heard. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really forces you to think about the fact that you're already having an impact. You are having an impact on me right now. Um, how powerful it is when a person becomes aware of the type of impact they have on those around them, wow. and then they're intentional with it. 
So I could, I could take that exercise quite literally, project you, for example, three to five years, you as the avatar, let's say, mm-hmm. and then talk as you on how you know me today and what impact and what I've done with yeah. you and for you and around yeah. you. Yeah. I like that. And I did this exercise now almost 15 years ago for myself when I was going through a significant season of change and transition after graduating from seminary and being a small business owner, very discontent in life a colleague of mine uh, and mentor asked me to write some of these stories. And, and out of that is what birthed liminal space. It wasn't like, oh, there it is. Now I'm gonna start this business. It, it was in all three of these stories, actually I wrote four, in all four of these stories, there is a theme of someone going through a significant life change of some, of some kind. And my place in their story was to come alongside them Mm. as someone who was provoking with good questions, inviting them to see something different about their life, about their, their gifts, about their future, about their circumstances. And there was always a sense of restoration in each of the stories for, and it was a period of time that I walked alongside them. This wasn't a one-off. This was a season like months long of getting to know this person a relationship was formed. And so these themes were named in these stories that I had no idea were there. I had no idea it was present until someone, this colleague and, and mentor um, who has become a dear friend, looked at the stories and named the patterns. And all of a sudden it was like, there it is. Like it's right there. Now uh, my next question is, okay, so what, what do I do with this? Right? What do, what do you do with that? <laughs> um, and that's where the role of experimentation, prototyping, Um, we need to take these patterns of desire for our futures and experiment with them before we take a leap towards, you know, starting that thing or moving to another company or, you know, completely changing the story. Let's in a lab type setting, get some more learning. And so that's what I did. I, and that's what I have all my clients do. My lab was, okay, I'm going to send out an email to as many people as I can think of and say, Who's going through a season of change? They're asking questions about their their life, their future. There's maybe perhaps career discontent. Um, I would like to meet with you for a six month period of time, at least once a month. And we'll meet maybe at a coffee shop or a hotel lobby. And I'll just do my thing, asking you a bunch of questions. We'll have engaging conversation. I might even give you some some homework assignments. Um, And that's how it began. That was my laboratory. Hmm. Um, while I was also doing my full-time work on the side. Um, and, and that was, so I was already paying the bills, making things, you know, m- making ends meet. But this became a place of, I can creatively experiment with a desired future without like completely taking the Etch-a-Sketch and shaking it and starting over, right? I can experiment with this corner of it over here and see what comes to life. And things started to come to life. Wow. And there's so much value in what you just said, especially in the, the one point that all business owners and entrepreneurs should hear. It's the, the, the point that launched this liminal space for you. You didn't have all the answers. You didn't have anything but the desire, the interest. So you just reached out and said, hey, 
who's doing X, Y, and Z, who needs A, B, and C, let's meet. You didn't have to uh, rent an office. You didn't have to, hey, let's meet at a coffee shop. There's so much value in that, that everybody should embrace. You don't need all the answers. You don't need the glitz and the glamour. You don't need 12, 15, 20 steps in advance, just know the one next step, reach out, put something right. out there, connect with somebody and experiment, make it happen, right. see what happens. Right, and I think, I mean, the, the lesson of experimenting and sticking with an experiment where there's multiple iterations, you need, a, you need an N of like 30, 100, not N of one. If I had an N of one, I probably would have said, nope, this is, this is not for me. That didn't go well. <laughs> that, that session, that experience in that coffee shop was horrible. Um, I needed to have eight or nine clients um, that at the time I was working with for free just to go like, what, what do I sense is really right, coming what's he, Yeah, and what's here? What I see in them. Yeah. Um, because if I can understand that and see how I'm working, with them and what's what's learning and growing in me, but what's learning and growing in them. Um, that's a powerful combination to unlock for the future that I desire. And then I can actually then do things like build a strategy around it, build a brand around it, right? That's good, that's well-informed, that's a well-informed story. Those are breadcrumbs, right? That lead me to the main course. Mm. Um, and and that's the, uh, that's why it's like, when I ask people to do this, uh, this work for themselves, let's be clear on the front end, this is not a quick fix. There is no silver bullet here. The stories out there in our world and our culture that invite you to believe in that are, are, are myths. They're myths. They're, they, 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 the work it takes to build a future is a daily, um, at times drudgery, <laughs> right? And other times mountaintop experience. And those can happen often within the same hour. Right. <laughs> to build the future that you desire is going to take a longer uh, uh, view. You have to look at it in terms of this is not days. This is weeks and months and years. Mm-hmm. And then um, daily, like you said, I'm uh, right. I'm living proof of that. I was able to successfully navigate after 40 plus years, a life of frustration, anger, misery, yeah. seeking approval, insecurity, desperation, all of that. And today I often talk about how I feel like and act like I'm in recovery in many ways I am, which makes it a daily habit and practice, but I love it. There's no other way that I want to live. It's like, okay, good. Now I'm on this side. I can only continue to grow. It's mine to lose. I don't want to lose this. So I'm going to continue to put in the quote unquote effort, the quote unquote work that keeps me alive, shining and growing. Right, right. And no doubt there will be changes up ahead that disrupt life. um, And those could come in all different forms, but knowing what you know today and who you've become today, Mm. the desire would be let's continue moving forward with those things that, you know, no one can take from you. This perspective, this, this thing that you're describing is inside you, right? Mm. It's, it's with you and you take that wherever you go. Um, Though, you know, maybe someday this construct that you've built your life around, this work that you're doing may change and shift. Of course. But the things that are inherently core to who you, who you be and how you imprint and impact those around you, that stays with you. Wow. I want to I, I go back in time a little bit and learn how you really got to this point. Take us back to the beginning, if you will. What was John DeWall like? 
growing up as a child? What was life like for you? I grew up in West Michigan, um, Kalamazoo, and I was the second of five kids. Um, and I grew up in a family where I was, I was typically seen as the responsible child, the good son, the one who was good at sports. I just, I drew the kind of attention that, you know, every parent, like, yes, you know, there's a, there's a positive experience there. And I, I, I don't look on that with the, uh, I, I enjoy that part of my story, but there was always this theme that I would experience growing up where maybe it was the neighbor, you know, next door who would say, you're so responsible. Um, or friends who would echo back like, wow, like when I graduated college, I bought a house, um, a dog, I had a brand new car, like all these things that looked like, like I was adulting really, really well. And friends would say like, you're so responsible. And that theme of responsibility is echoed throughout my story. And, and I think that's in, in some ways, it taught me how to play by the rules. And like I was saying to you earlier, like, but it didn't teach me how to break rules, um, how to lean into places where things could get a bit more topsy-turvy and a little bit more wild, um, a little bit more fun even, um, by choosing it for myself. Um, and so when you're so used to coloring within the lines, um, it's not always clear what it means to color and be free outside of the lines or break certain constructs that have uh, been designed to restrain. So I, I, I grew up more in that context. Um, and I, I love that analogy that um, when you grew up responsible, um, learning how to live by the rules, you never learn how to break the rules. And you're saying that, you know, in life, in business, in situations, you have to learn how to break the rules. Um, can, you, can you share an example of when you were in the face of something in, in life, career, business, or what have you, where you didn't know how to break the rules and it sort of worked against you. Worked against me. Or didn't, didn't particularly help in the best possible way if you knew how to bend the rules. Um, well, I'll answer that with a, what comes to mind. Tell me if this is what you're thinking of or looking for. Um, this work that I'm doing right now, um, when I started it, I would often get asked questions like, so are you a coach? Um, are you a, a counselor? Are you a spiritual director? Are you career counselor? What are you? And I, I would often explain who I was by what I'm not. Uh, I'm not this, I'm not that. Um, and I got three or four years into that and feeling somewhat frustrated by the fact that I couldn't, couldn't fit within the framework of what people's uh, questions were designed for and wow. I got tired of t telling the world who I was by what I what I wasn't and I decided at that point um, I'm going to break some of those rules and say I, I actually have a practice that's designed around borrowing from all of those disciplines so I do do some counseling I do do some spiritual direction work with folks I do do a lot of career development work and I put all those together in what I think is a really powerful offering that I think people are wanting. They're wanting to have questions that bleed into all areas of their life and not just one particular silo because we're holistic beings. And you can't go through a, a career change without it impacting your finances, which often impacts your relationships and your lifestyle. Like 
you know, and, and for many, your faith. Like these are, these are worlds that overlay on top of one another. So why, why play by the rule that says I have to be one thing? I have to choose one of those when it feels more at home for me to say, no, I feel comfortable in a lot of these different realms. I'm not going to be the jack of all trades and be able to say I, I can handle every counseling therapeutic issue that walks into my office, but I know enough to know the things that I can go into and where I need to bring on another team member to help out through an outside referral. Um, so that for me is an example of like um, bending and breaking some of the rules within this, within this field of helping people. Um, asking questions related to who they are and who they want to become more of and then designing something that fits more um, based on a based on a desire and a dream that I have um, and when I hear people say things like I don't think there's hardly anything out there like that I used to I used to hear that and go oh man is that a good maybe that's not a good thing maybe I should maybe I should try to create something but now it's more of a no like I'm proud of the fact that 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 and I want more of that in the world. I want more people that see that, that these, these moments in life, they don't fit neatly in one container. They, they blend into a lot. It's a mess, but it's such a holy mess if we learn how to wait in it and discern, again, those breadcrumbs towards a better future. Wow. That's yeah. the question that you were asking. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. So with this, um, you're the responsible one label, um, growing up in your teens and your twenties, did you, did you always wear that confidently or was there a struggle like, Oh, yeah. I, I, I what? Yeah. Yeah, no, not at all. I think no that's struggle. one of those facades. Yeah. Um, where outwardly it looks a certain way, but inwardly it, it, it certainly works well to mask places where I don't feel confident, the places that I'm shaky. Um, and I think that's still part of my awareness for today, um, that it's so easy to project to the world that I got all my shit together um, when there are things that, that, that feel shaky, um, out of my control. Um, and, I, and I use this image of like, we need to become aware of the fragrance of our, of our narrative, of our themes. And for me, whenever I, whenever I smell like, you're projecting to the world a particular facade and it served you well in many regards. It's how I survived my childhood, right? Um, and it's preventing you from asking for help. It's preventing you from saying to a close colleague or friend or your community, I can't answer this question. I have no clue where to begin. Can you help me, right? And so, you know, a, a, a great word for that is repentance. It's choosing to do a different story, a different narrative than the one that you use to survive, bringing you back to connection, a relationship with yourself and those around you. And so that's that for me, when I can, get, can, I, when I can look at the binds and the constraints in my narrative and become aware of them and alert to them and then choose differently, that brings a story of connection and freedom that's beautiful for my for my story and then i'm liberated to be better for those that are around me um, and we all have that in our story we all have those moments that uniquely invite us to become better for those that are around us but it also feels familiar to put forth that facade that says for me anyways mine was i i have it all together hmm. but i don't this this brand the hidden entrepreneur was founded on the premise that i spent all this time hiding 
really um, not only all of my power, my skill, my talent, mm -hmm. my ability, but I was hiding behind fear, using that as every excuse. Tell us about a time where you were blatantly hiding behind fear and you had to move right through it. Um, I think, uh, well, for me, that what comes immediately to mind was, uh, this was back in 2007. Um, I was a contractor at the time. This was before liminal space was even existed. Um, I think some of the initial thoughts or ideas were there, but I was a contractor. Uh, I had a crew of, of guys working for me at the time. Um, and I was on a roof one day and I fell off um, and uh, shattered my ankle, um, uh, my right leg. And it resulted in me being in the hospital for over two weeks, three different surgeries and about a five month recovery process to get back on my feet. And for me, uh, that was probably the most turbulent season of mixtures of fear, worry, anxiety, uh, loads of stress. Um, largely the fear of uh, what if I can't provide for my family? Um, what, will I, what will I do for a future career? Because this one is coming to a dramatic conclusion. Hmm. Um, and I don't know what to do next that could create an income. Um, and, and not feel like I'm chained to a desk um, and, and, and not um, just doing the normal daily grind of, of work. Uh, and I had small children at the time. I had a two and a half year old and a four month old um, and mountains of school debt. So there were just a lot of forces um, in that season that uh, were plenty fearful for me. Um, I think the one thing that really helped me move through that was community. Um, I, had a, I had to have a series of ongoing, over the course of months, conversations with that first year of what does it mean to rebuild or, or create something out of the rubble uh, of a life that's gone through a, a high level of disruption, where every single aspect of who I thought I was was changed. Um, and what does it mean to vulnerably share that with the small group of people closest to me, right? My wife, three or four really good friends where I could just be raw, right? Uh, raw, afraid, anxious, a mess. Um, and what was it like what, for me to be able to bring all that and for them in the midst of it to be able to hear what perhaps this season was inviting on my behalf. Um, and that's something I invite all of the people I work with to create a small coalition of people to go through whatever the transition is with you, to ask you questions, to mirror back what they hear and some of the fear and some of the anxiety, to be, be curious about where is that coming from, to step into stories, but also to step into the questions that hold invitation and desire. That's that for me at that time. Um, I don't know that I would have navigated the transition as well as I did. Um, and I say that um, with lots of different caveats. Well is defined by, um, I stuck with the questions. <laughs> I, I didn't take the easy answers. Um, and I did it in a way that was relational. Um, 
what does it mean to construct that kind of journey that keeps you in the game, keeps you in the transition, open, curious, um, and accepting all that it holds in the reality of what that is for your life with a desire to become more human. And for me, becoming more human was to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna construct a future where I have, I have space in the narrative for desire and dreams. And not just doing something because I'm responsible or obligated, that big theme in my story. I'm gonna choose something that allows me to both be responsible and have a space for dreams and desires. Both can coexist. Um, and I don't think I would have gotten there without the help of others and the ability to be vulnerable with where I was at. Do you find the word failure, first, how do you identify with that word? And do you find that a lot of your clients maybe uh, indulge in that, like resist any change or transition because they might feel like a quote unquote failure? So how do you navigate that? And what's your personal view on that? Um, I think failure has to be a part of every person's life. Um, and and engaged with honesty. Um, there's too much shame in our culture around failure. Um, we give it a lot of, you know, we, we hear things like fail fast. We hear things like failure is, is such a great experience because you can learn from it. But in the reality of what people people put out there and what you see, that's that's not the narrative where, where you hear people embracing failure. Um, and yet we're drawn to it. We're drawn to those stories of people courageously leaning into moments where they've experienced the bottom, right? And so I think failure has a powerful place in everybody's story, but you have to lean into it. And for me, that was look, that, that looked like from one day to the next, you know, I've got three or four people that I'm going to work with on that given day. And it's year, it's year one of my career in liminal space. I've never worked with that transition before. I feel shaky with that person because I can't figure out what's going on with, with their narrative. It's all new, right? And so you're going to cut your teeth. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna make some missteps and you're gonna say things that you're just like I cannot believe that just came out of my mouth right I cannot believe that that was where we landed today and I wish that I would have I wish I could do that over um, I had so many moments where um, I had the, again that team of people around me during that first year who could help me understand what was going on in the things that I was labeling a failure and some of them were abysmal <laughs> they were just like oh bad um, but in the midst of that what do you need to learn what does it say about the themes and patterns that you're not aware of that you should become more aware of so that you can continue to write the story that you want i like how you've attached shame to failure it's so true yeah and yep. that's a shame isn't it yeah yeah and you have to learn how to sit with your shame in the midst of your failure um, and that's not something you can do on your own you need people to help you sit with your shame the places that you'd rather just move through quickly and avoid um, because I think in all those moments where there was failure and shame with that failure, there was just this desire to want to hide, just hide, right? Let's get back to that facade that looks like everything's all fine and dandy and blame. It wasn't my fault. It was their fault. Um, and to own my side of the conversation, my part in it, um, ultimately it's going to create a stronger, more courageous, more loving and kind John that can better be uh, in the service of those that I come into contact with. So to courageously lean into those moments where failure and shame are so ripe, um, mm. creates for an opportunity to become more kind 
and with that more free in the world to be who you're supposed to be. Do you believe that everything happens for a reason? Oh man, that's such a, <laughs> um, I believe that there are things that happen to us. I, I believe in a, a creator. Um, I believe in an author of our stories. Um, I believe in a God. And I believe that there is something of our stories that, that he, she, whatever you want to label, is intimately aware of um, more than we are. And I also believe in a God who's very curious and is a learner. Um, and loves to learn us um, and invites us again and again to create with our creator um, because we have something in us that's designed for that. So there's a mystery there that on some level I think, yeah, everything does happen for a reason. And at the same time, there's some freedom in the narrative for us to contribute rather significantly to the direction. Um, and I have to live into that mystery that my story is shaped by me and influenced by the, the choices and that freedom that I have. Um, and there's, there's something bigger going on in the world that also holds all of it. Um, the things that I have chosen and want to choose and the things that I wish that I hadn't. And maybe I, I, I can rest a bit more in a belief that, that knows that there is a bigger force holding my life out, outside of anything that I could actually do. Are you spiritual or religious in any ways? Yeah, I'm, I am, I am a, 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 religious is a loaded word. Um, I, I think most religions are bubbles that need to be burst. Uh, and I would say that I'm a, a very spiritual uh, Christ follower uh, who believes that he, rep he represents what it means to be human here on earth and go through every single change and transition uh, you can encounter while alive um, and how to do that in a way that's relational and loving and connected. That's what I believe in. Uh, yeah. What do you believe happens when it's all over, when our time here on earth comes to an end? Good question. I think there's something in the word um, restoration um, where the stories that we would rather write out of our narratives, the parts that we um, have that hold scars, hmm. make perfect and complete sense um, and leave us in a place of rest um, and a place where joy and gratitude um, are uh, the core experience of our being. Uh, that's where I think the story is heading. Um, we are in many ways in one big transition uh, and uh, have a tremendous opportunity to, to contribute to that kind of story as co-creators um, and, and shape that kind of kingdom kind of experience now. Uh, and that is uh, hard to keep that perspective in a world that's full of things like bombings and shootings and all kinds of crazy, fearful, fear-inducing events. Um, but I do think that that's the, the narrative we're heading towards. Um, and we need more people with that perspective who can, in the midst of that kind of turbulence, 
be that presence of light um, who can say even in the midst of this pain, there is a hope on the horizon for something that um, will bring all things together in a way where it's fully restored. Beautifully put. Let's wrap all this up in a nice, nice bow, if we can. What's the overarching message and theme we're all talking about here? I think the theme that uh, I'm just continually drawn to and pulled into, and I will endure uh, months and months of painstaking drudgery to get to, is I think every single person's designed to live in a way that's fully alive. And I, I will come alongside anyone to, to fight on behalf of that, that person in them that's looking to become more fully alive in all its unique ways. And, you know, I think where we create most is in our careers. So I love to see people that are alive in their careers and, and alive with the life that they've constructed um, at home, uh, within their communities, within their work, uh, within their faith communities. Uh, fully engaged, willing to risk. And you cannot, I don't believe you can discover that outside of transition. That is discovered in these moments where things are kind of topsy-turvy. Um, but that's the best time in life to pay attention, to be alert, to ask for help um, and lean in. And so that, that, that's the heart of the message is just don't leave, don't leave the volatility and the turbulence don't take the easy answer until you understand who you're supposed to become within that season of change and transition. And for anybody listening or watching now, what's the very next step, the piece of action, the thing that they can do going forward? I would, I would ask the question, um, what can I construct in my life that helps keep me open curious and present to the reality that I'm in today. So it could very practically be, I need three wise people in my life who can meet with me on a regular basis to help me see what's really going on, to ask questions, to be kind of like a clearness committee, to borrow from the Quakers. Um, what, what can I engage in my life that keeps me open, curious, and available to the reality of this transition? It could be great self-care. It could be eating good food, diet, and exercise. It could be a spiritual practice of some kind, meditation, yoga. Um, hmm. It could be coming up with a really good set of next action steps based on, you know, if you've lost a job and you've got bills ready, you know, you need to find some work. And that can be a paralyzing, terrifying place to be in. Let's identify the next five steps that you need to take within the immediacy of that need that address it, but also don't you know, take you out of the transition prematurely. Um, take that off ramp. Um, let's keep you engaged in that question of what you really want to do with your life and what this season may be inviting. So I think that's the, that's the work is what on the front end, before you make huge major life changes in these choices you make, slow the narrative down so that you can stay open and curious uh, and in the reality of the transition so you can see more clearly. That's the best. Those are the best places choices get made. Um, and yeah. you need to construct an approach to do that. I will leave you with this final question. John DeWall, how would you like to be remembered? Mm. Uh, as a faithful friend. Uh, a faithful friend who's willing to participate, uh, whatever the story holds.
Um, and I, I think my favorite, one of my favorite characters, my family, my boys were watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And I am perpetually drawn to characters like Samwise, um, who comes alongside Frodo and the ring that he's carrying um, to be for him uh, a participating faithful friend on that journey. Um, that, that's how I want to be remembered. Wow. I like it. I like all of this, John. Uh, really cool to have you. Cool to sit down with you like this. Thank you for um, coming on and opening up in the way you did and um, for, for sharing all this with us. It's, it's fascinating. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Josh. And thank you for everybody tuning in, whether it's to the live broadcast here or on the native podcast platform. If it's Apple, if it's Google, if it's Spotify, wherever you download and consume your podcasts, head over, rate and review us. I love reading your thoughts, seeing what you have to say. We're going to do this again real soon. Thank you for spending your time tuning in. Until we do, go get them. Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.